The scripture reading today is from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. It can be found in your Bibles on page 1089, or you can follow along up here on the screen. The word of the Lord. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is, is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks, James. Uh, I invite you to pray with me as we begin. Our God, we uh, look to you and your gracious message now. And we look at it from different places, whether we come in from uh, a place of drama, a lot of drama in our life perhaps, maybe some good, maybe for some of us it's been... Uh, really difficult. Maybe we've gone through a valley in life recently, and we come with that on the forefront of our mind. Others of us come with um, um, doubts and questions, maybe even wondering why we're here, because the questions rattle around and they dominate, and the doubts that follow don't seem to lead anywhere that we want them to lead. And others of us come... Uh, it's possible that we're just exhausted or that we're numb to you and to anything about you, although we wish we had some vibrancy or excitement. And others come, truly, some come very thankful because prayers have been lifted up and life circumstances and you answered. And it's, has, we have this feeling like you are real and you lead and you watch over us. So wherever we come from now in this time, impress upon us um, get us into a place where we can listen, just knowing that we're, we have this universal similarity, that we're, we're all more of a mess than we want the person next to us to know. We're more broken than we care to admit. And teach us through this gracious 
story of the gospel, which tells us that, sure, yes, we're more a mess than we care to admit, but through Christ we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. Would you speak to each and every one of us in such a way that we know that grace and it changes us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to start by saying, I mean, I'm almost a little nervous up here. It's been so long I forget what to do. It, six weeks ago was the last time I was standing up here. Um, what, a, what a big break. And then it's been a roller coaster time in there. Um, let me just list a few things to give you an idea if you don't know. Um, so we had, um, in that six weeks of time, we had a trip to the emergency room for a three-year-old, broken arm. Then we had a trip to the hospital middle of the night, labor and delivery of a baby. And then we had a week later trip to the emergency room, two trips to the emergency room for the newborn, and then hospitalized for three days with a scary infection. And they got a handle on it, and he's here today. You can see him maybe. Um, I don't see him right now, but my wife took him out. But um, so all of that going on, and in one period of six weeks. I mean, it's intense. It's been a roller coaster. And um, um, so, yeah, I'm just kind of getting my bearings. And I wanted to just also say thank you. Um, We have the best church on the face of the planet. Give yourselves a hand. Um, It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, Because um, a bunch of people filled in for things that I wasn't able to do. Um, because the baby came on the, around the 2nd and I was going to do things here and then a bunch of other ways that you've helped. And one of the biggest things is the way that people have embraced us through this time. I don't know how we would have been able to do this without all the meals that people have been bringing. Um, incredible. Just kind of helped us, allowed us to actually get through things. So thank you guys. Um, also the prayer, people praying for our little guy Oscar through that whole infection scary time. Um, thank you for supporting us through this time. Um, I I am very obsessed about City Life Church, and so it's hard for me to kind of break away and be gone. Um, uh, And so one of the things I had to do as I kind of got my head back above water this week is listen to the podcasts of my replacement speakers, right? Um, And these are all friends of mine, and I was was actually, I I knew they were great, but I, I was just really thankful after listening to some of them, most of them, and just, you know, how well they did and how edifying their talks were. One pretty funny thing, though, when I was listening to last week's message, um, my good, good friend David Linder was preaching, and he said something at some point in the sermon, I don't remember exactly what, but he said something to the effect of, well, you know, and if you're, if you're kind of on the newer end of the spectrum, don't just take my word for it, you know, come back and keep exploring. And, and then he said, he said, now, when is Mark back? And then there was this awkward silence that I didn't know how to interpret just listening to the podcast, I was like, I don't know, this could be good or bad. I'm not just like total silence when he asked that question. No one jumping up and down saying, next week, we can't wait. But I knew that you want to be back because of the flood of emails and calls and letters asking me, I mean, this is verbatim, um, dozens and dozens of you asking, Mark, please come back soon and finish the part two of the two-part series six weeks ago that you started. (laughs) And since you asked, I decided to give it to you. Um, The message I had planned five weeks ago was what I was gonna gonna talk about this. So, of course, I'm kidding. No one asked and no one even remembers what I talked about. Um, 
But, but what I talked about was this idea of the clothing metaphor in the Christian life, your new wardrobe and what to do with it. So we're going to talk about clothes and getting dressed today. I bet you didn't know that when you came to church. Um, so the issue really is how do we live Christianly? How do we live with more dependence on God in all our actions and less sin? And that's the word the Bible uses for it, less sin. How do we get less self-absorption, less uh, pursuit of sensual pleasures, less, less of those habits and patterns in our life that we kind of look at and go, how do we keep it? why do I keep ending up here? And last month, as we began to deal with the, how the clothing wardrobe analogy deals with this issue, we did part one. It's got two things. And part one goes basically like this. We, we had this example. All of you remember this, but I'll just say it anyway. Um, we had th- this example of a guy who was not a soldier but got a uniform and got some awards and at the small town events that, had to, that were very patriotic, he would wear his uniform and he pulled off everyone thinking that he had served in the military. So he had the, the, the clothing but not the true identity and we talked about how that's one of the kind of pitfalls that this opens up, this clothing metaphor opens up in the Christian life that you can have the diligent, rigorous, religious pursuit, and yet not really that nugget of God's forgiving grace that's driving all of those things. Um, but it also goes the other way. This is what we're going to talk about today. Imagine a reverse analogy where, I don't have a great news event story like the one I had then, but just imagine someone who uh, did enlist, maybe did fight in, in, in a conflict, and comes home, but then at all the events related to uh, military service, this soldier doesn't wear the uniform and sh- is always showing up without any of the outer external signs that, yes, I am one of those people who served. Or imagine someone enlisting, and so, okay, so they are actually enlisted in the military or whatever service, but when they get there, they say, no, I'm not going to wear a uniform. I'm just not going to do that. And, and you know, eventually someone would say, well, I, I'm, I don't have to break it to you. You're not actually going to be in the military if you don't have, you know, you're not wearing the garments, the clothing. That's another problem um, in the Christian faith, the idea that you can get kind of the heart of the message, but then it can, you can just kind of like leave it there and it doesn't start to reflect itself externally. It was actually an extremely big issue in the Christian faith in the first uh, few decades and first century of the church growing. It's, it's always actually in, the, in Christian communities that thrive around this message of God's grace. And here's why. Because the message of God's grace is so unique and new, it doesn't compare to anything else that you've heard in terms of how to get to God, how to get connected to God. It breaks through all those things that says, you've got to climb, and you've got to work, and you've got to do this and that, and maybe someday you'll be assured that you've gotten there. And if you have some doubts or if you feel a little wobbly about your faith, it's probably because you're not doing enough. Um, And you can't be sure until you know and you get the stamp of approval of what you're doing to get yourself connected to God. And that's what most, almost every other religious approach talks about in the, the Christian faith with its message of God's grace through Jesus breaks through that and says... God looks at you and says, I love you so much, you're never going to reach me on your own. I'm going I'm to bring you here through my grace. I'm going to bring you into my presence. I'm going to settle your heart and all your needs through forgiveness of your shortfall, of your shortcomings, of your failures. 
that's going to propel you into my presence. And after that flows out the life of gratitude that follows. Now, when you have that big of a message of grace that says, God, it really just centers around God approaches you with forgiveness of sins, then what almost always happens is this one distortion of many possible distortions always is a part of the mix of a Christian church that has that message at its heart. And the distortion goes, it's very simple. It goes like this. Oh, I know, God is very, so gracious about sin. I'm going to define, I'm going to kind of translate that and start to just tweak that a little bit and say God is laid back about sin. You can just, just thinking about the difference of saying that God forgives sin and so therefore God must be really laid back about sin. Of course, that's what we all want to be true, really in our heart of hearts, but that's not actually what the gospel gets at. Just think about the number one event of the Christian faith that we look to. Jesus on the cross, right? This is God's act of grace for us. And there is nothing nothing casual or laid back about the Son of God bleeding to death on the cross for sin. There's nothing laid back about that. There's nothing casual about that. There is a, um, let's see, I think I have it right here. There's a quote in your worship guide by um, author named uh, Kidner. No, it's not, it's not in there. Sorry. That's going to be the next one of the next ones I have, but there's a, I have it right here. You don't have it. Derek Kidner, in his book called The Message of Ecclesiastes, he says, no amount of emphasis on grace can justify taking liberties with God. For the very concept of grace demands gratitude, and gratitude cannot be casual. You sense that in our passage today as we're, we're looking at this, and we see that the New Testament writers, as they're trying to help these early communities that are exploding around this idea of God's grace. We've never heard anything like this. But these writers like the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter, they're writing about sin and about dealing with sin. They're not casual about it. When Paul says um, things like, put it to death, and then he uses the clothing analogy, he says, since you have taken off your old self with its practices in verse 9. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. There's these imperatives. It's command form. It's not casual. It's not laid back. Deal with this sin. And as, you know, that sounds kind of simple. I mean, the clothing analogy is basically, um, well, you know, here's your new clothing, God has made a, reconnected with you through Jesus, and now you have this new clothing available to you. It's delivered to your door. Put it on. Take the old stuff off, put on the new. Sounds kind of simple. But all of us end up, what we end up struggling with is a, sort of a, a mixture in our lives. As if you were to try to journey along with this message of grace, there's, there's this mixture in the life of even the most influential Christians. I think about George... MacDonald, who was, uh, who was a, a writer in the 19th century, a fantasy writer, fiction writer, uh, a minister. So he also wrote a, a book of prayers, a very personal journal of prayers called Diary of an Old Man or an Old Soul. So I have something um, by him here that's very interesting. If I can just find it. He says, just catch the mixture between these two different quotes by George MacDonald. He says, on the one hand, when we open our hearts 
the door of our hearts to Christ, this is what he says happens. We face full to the sun that enlightens what is sent forth and know ourselves alive with an infinite life. Doesn't that sound good? Even the life of the Father, then indeed we are. Then indeed we have life. The life of Jesus has, through light, become life in us. The glory of God in the face of Jesus, mirrored in our hearts, has made us alive. We are one with God forever and ever. And to many of you that sounds so good and you say, give me some of that. I want to feel that. I want to know that. And you think he must be some amazing saint to be able to talk that way. But listen to what else he says in a prayer. When he was very old, he wrote this prayer. Lord, I have fallen again, a human clod. Selfish I was and heedless to offend. Stood on my rights. Thy own child would not send away his shreds of nothing for the whole of God. You find that quote in your worship guide, actually. He, right there, you catch in one person's life, in one person's set of writings, um, what most of us feel and experience when we come to the issue of, oh, the Bible says just live a godly life. Just put on the clothes of a Christian every day. How do we understand that mixture going on in our lives? Um, the, New, the New Testament writers like Paul, who, who wrote the, the letter to the Colossians and and all of them really were getting at this, were trying to give us language for this. And one of the things they keyed in on was what, um, what I can refer to as the two ages. Let's think about, let's, let's lay this grid over top of this issue and see if it doesn't help us a little bit understand our lives as we pursue a Christian life. So the two ages basically says that um, what Christ has done on the cross and what you participate in when you're, you enter into the Christian faith through baptism is you are entering into the, a new age, a new age inaugurated by Christ. And this new age is the one that's going to win out, where all the wrongs are going to be righted, and all the injustices are going to find justice, and all the wars are going to find peace, and all the sins are going to uh, find holiness, and all sinners are going to find holiness. Um, this is the new age... But then it's talked about very much as us having a foot kind of in both ages. So there's still the old age. Um, there's still the, the surroundings. There's still kind of we all have one foot in the age that has really shaped our heart. The Bible talks about the old self and the new self. And so this is actually a description that's, that's fairly helpful if you kind of play, play it out. There's the old age, it's grabbing a hold of us, it's, it's, it's trying to keep itself as the de definition for who we are and how we live, but there's this new possibility, this new reality that only through Christ you enter into, and it really does become this new reality that is true about you, even if you're having trouble kind of living in it. So let me give you a couple more articulate <laughs> ways of describing these two ages, just a couple sentences from someone who wrote, writes about this. George Eldon Ladd in his Theology of the New Testament, he says the underlying idea is that while believers live in the old age because they are in Christ, they belong to the new age with its new creation. And they are to live a life that is expressive of the new existence. 
live in the old age, but because you're in Christ, you belong to the new age, and you are to live a life that is expressive of the new existence. You know, uh, Peter had a great way of putting it in um, the letter of Second Peter. This very one very simple sentence when he says in chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, listen to how he puts this, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Um, so the Apostle Paul says, put on, take off, you know, telling us what to do. Peter says, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. You get the sense of old age, new age? You live in the old. Your life could definitely confirm a lot about the old age. Make every effort to step into the new age and make sure that your life gives some evidence and confirms your calling into that new age. Again, from this same uh, book of New Testament theology, and this quote I think is in your worship guide as well, the important thing to note is the tension between the indicative and the imperative. Any language majors here, just remembering that language of indicative verbs, imperative verbs, well, you'll get the point. The old person, the old nature, the old self has been put to death. It has been put off in principle, yet believers are exhorted to do in practice what has already been done in principle. Do you ever feel like, you know, you go get to the end of a day, or you get to the end of a week, maybe, or you get to the end of a month, or maybe, and maybe you just experience this, you get to the end of a summer, and you feel like, wow, that whole day, the whole week, that whole summer, I was disconnected to maybe the kind of life I want to live. Maybe the idea of even voicing prayers or thoughts to God or even giving a thought at all about God's grace as a centerpiece of my life. Man, I went another day not even thinking, not even connecting or incorporating that into my life. How is that even possible? Because we're surrounded by the old age. It defines us. It's sort of the default drive of our hearts is to those old patterns that we've been shaped by. The old clothes, really they're... They're rags, but they just feel like us. You know, they, they're well-worn, and they feel good when we're wearing them. Remember Brooks in the movie Shawshank Redemption? He was the older prisoner who, you know, they, tell this, they show the story. It's gripping in how he gets out of prison, and he can't handle his freedom. He can't live in the freedom, and so he takes his own life. The sense is that, you know, when Brooks is wearing his clothes of freedom, they feel like they're starched too much and they're the wrong size. He doesn't know how to walk around and live and be himself in this freedom. And uh, in many ways, that's what it's like to begin to try to be a Christian and to live in this new age. The garments feel stiff and you'd almost rather be in the garments of slavery um, from the past. It's possible to be just beginning to know God's grace and trying to figure out and to actually, as you're exploring grace and for the first time trying to live into a way of life centered around God's grace and forgiveness that you feel very lost. <laughs> you know, you, you, like that song says, why well, once was lost, but now I'm found. It's possible to actually be found, but still feel really lost. And Chuck DeGrope, who was here six weeks ago? Chuck DeGroat was here preaching um, six weeks ago, and he just came out with this book called Leaving Egypt. 
and I dare anyone to go pick up this book if you haven't read it yet and, and read it and then meet with me and we'll talk about it. It's a great book to just explore your spiritual journey and it overlays the, the biblical story of the people of Israel. Well, he's, this simple sentence, he says, like the Israelites, we can leave Egypt, but it takes a long time for Egypt to leave us for the place of slavery, to really no longer be um, what feels comfortable to us, what feels like our clothes. And so you try to live, you try to do what maybe the Bible says in one of these passages, and you, you try to, to, to be a better person and to deal with these kinds of things, but you find constantly that right there is pride, right there is bitterness, and it feels so good to just be bitter, right? And right there is this, the old slander and gossip. And right there is the sexual promiscuity and, uh, and exploration. And you know what the truth is? What the gospel says to you is God has made you free. Those, that's the old self. That's the old age. Those are the prison garments. Those are the clothes. That's the clothing of enslavement. And so this, you know, it sounds easy. Just put on the clothes. Take off the old Put on the new as, in a sense, you know, stop just browsing the aisles at the clothing store. Actually go into the fitting room, go into the changing room a little bit and change. Um, it sounds easy, but um, it's, the str- it's a big struggle living a godly life while you have one foot in both ages. Um, <clears throat> another, another analogy, speaking of like moving out of the area of in of enslavement and having sort of a new zip code in life. I like to think about the Christian faith and the struggle with sin to be like if you had lived in a neighborhood where the air was polluted and it was unhealthy for you to breathe and for your body and your neighbors stole from you regularly and the, your kids didn't learn anything at school. In fact, there was a little bit wonder about abuse and how well the kids are being treated. There, Everything you could think about in terms of this neighborhood, bad, 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 unhealthy, unhealthy, and out of the blue, some benevolent person hands you a, a title to a home or a deed to a property in this new neighborhood where all those things are flipped and everything in this new place and in this new community is full of life and health. And of course, you grab hold of it when you see the good and you take hold of it and you move to the new zip code. If that's what the Christian life is like, then what also happens is that we get into our car once in a while and we go for a joy ride in the, in the old neighborhood, you know, just to kind of think back on old times and see some of the old folks we used to hang out with. And we end up on sleeping in somebody's smoke-filled couch and waking up in the morning saying, how did I end up here again? This isn't good. I don't want to end up here. That's actually a picture in a sense of, you know, why would you ever leave? Why would you ever go back? Why? But we do. Um, another quote I found fascinating. So as you do that, you know, as you, if that's at all the Christian life, part of the thing is just to start to realize, start to have some language and be, begin to identify and say, have some language and say, no, that is the old self. And to call it what it is. Someone who I heard recently call, call it what it is is this author, see if I can find it, it's in the worship guide, the quote by um, Anthony Swaffer. He wrote the book Jarhead. Anybody read this book? So he was in the military, wrote this book about his, I didn't read it, but I heard him talking about his, he has a new book, I guess, and he was talking on this radio show. And this is just, just telling his story. He said something very interesting as he told his story. 
He's not a Christian. He's not trying to talk about the Christian faith here. He's just talking, he just has some self-reflection that I find very helpful. He's visiting Tokyo. He's at kind of the pinnacle of having a lot of money and feeling very successful. And so he's in, he's in Tokyo, and within, several, within just a few miles, there's these, there's these three different women that he's interested in or has had relationships with in the past. And this is what he says. He's there for one week, and he says, somehow during this week, I managed to see and have sex with all of these women without getting caught. I decided I was some kind of genius, that I had, in fact, created some kind of new language of love. And his reflection, looking back, is, but really what, what I was speaking was deceit and despair. Interesting. Do you have some of that kind of reflection? Do you have that some kind of put the lens on and really see what's going on in, in your life and call it what it is? Well, this is, I'm going to come to a close here, but let me just give you two very practical ways that you might begin to do that or or things you need definitely on this journey i don't have it all figured out but these are just two things first of all you need companions as you think about what paul is doing here in this passage this would have been a letter being read aloud in a setting like this to a group of people in fact it would have been getting passed on to multiple groups but the point is that it's being heard by a community my first point is that you need companions if you're going to walk this journey with your new wardrobe, if you're going to leave Egypt, if you're going to uh, try to less and less take those joy rides back to the old neighborhood, you need companions. You need other people who you've let into this journey. Because you know what? You're likely to say to yourself, if you're, if you're just going it alone, you've got this independent view of the spiritual journey, you're going to basically say, you know, that, that joy ride back to the old neighborhood, you're going to say, well, you know, how... How bad can it be? What's so bad about that? Or you're going to say, well, you know, it's almost as if the car was just driving itself. You know, I just got in and it just, here I was, all of a sudden I'm in the old neighborhood. How did that happen? And you're liable to talk about your sin and your brokenness in that kind of a way. But not when you let others in because we're all in this together and we all know the dynamics. You're, you're much more likely to develop some kind of language with others where, where people will say, Oh, did you, did you take a trip down memory lane again? Let's talk about that. You, know, it, you, you have people who start to help you see inwardly and start to ask questions like, well, what was happening right before you took that journey there, right before you ended up in that place? What was going on? What was your heart craving? What kind of short circuit happened that you were convinced that the old rags were really going to be what you needed, were going to satisfy you? You need others on that journey, but you also need to know uh, what matters most in the end? What matters most in the end, after all? Someone asked. What matters most? Well, what matters most is that um, how God deals with our need to be clothed. Think about the Garden of Eden. There was Adam and Eve who, the first time mankind sinned, according to the Bible, what did they do? But they went and tried to clothe themselves. And very ineffectively, by the way, I don't think fig leaves have ever quite made it into, I haven't seen the last issue, but I don't think they've ever quite made it into InStyle magazine, you know, the new clothing line made of fig leaves. Very impractical clothing. And what does God graciously do when confronted with our sin for the very first time? He says, let me make some better garments to clothe you. And of course, you know, it wasn't just an issue of clothing Adam and Eve, but there already this journey begins that ends on the cross where we see the Son of God. God comes into our world because we're so terrible at clothing ourselves, as much as we're going to try, as much as we should try to put on the new garments, we're so terrible at it that Jesus comes and he ends up naked on the cross, no clothes. In fact, they're 
casting lots. I don't know if you remember the story. They're casting lots, the guards are, for his clothes. And there's Jesus, unclothed, so that, what does the Bible say? So that you can be clothed by his righteousness. You know that that's true about you. You know that in the end, in each time you find yourself bumping into a wall and falling and being in the old zip code again, you said you wouldn't go back, but you're there. And coming back to God, you know what's going to be true? Is it still what's going to matter most? It's not your failures, but the fact that God through Christ clothes you. There's this old Puritan minister named John Bunyan. Maybe some of you have read The Pilgrim's Progress. Um, I almost call it The Pilgrim's Process. <laughs> it's not a process, it's progress. Um, and so, in the, so John Bunyan, he actually wrote another work about his um, early life as a Christian, his struggle with sin. And, he, and in one point he describes as a new Christian dealing with sin. And he says, I was walking through a field. I was walking along alone in a field. And I had a bad frame of heart he says, basically just alluding to dealing with sin and where he was and disappointment and guilt. I had a bad frame of heart. Maybe you've been there this week, maybe. I had a bad frame of heart, and he said, and then I had um, a thought, and that thought was a scripture, and that thought was this. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. He says, and then I danced. So a Puritan in the 17th century, was dancing. You didn't know that. They do it alone in a field, but they dance. They, they, but they, did, they were allowed to dance as long as alone in a field. And, um, and do you get that? Do you get the sense that that is the life of a Christian if lived with your eyes on who God really is? It's a dance. And, and even finding yourself in a place of failure means coming back to the dance and dancing again that Jesus Christ is your righteousness. Are you dancing? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your grace. May you help us, even in this time as we come towards the table of communion, to grasp it more because we um, fall so short. We need new images. We need community. And we need your Holy Spirit. So help us as we journey together to know your grace uh, and to um, help each other to put on the new clothing of the Christian life. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.